Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Look at all those hearts coming in. Oh my god. Okay, let me get myself set up. <laughs> I feel like I should sit in a different background so you guys don't see that I'm just like not always in my bedroom, but you know, here we are. Whatever. It's all good. So I am super excited. Oh my god, and you came on like exactly at 405. This is amazing. So welcome everyone. <laughs> Um, thank you to all of you who are praying people who prayed that this would go up because I've tried this is episode number three and my first episode I screwed up Vonda's audio and then my second episode I screwed up Ashley's video and so I was like and I tried I tried YouTube and then I tried zoom and now we're gonna do this Instagram thing I'm 42 but I'm pretending like I'm 24 it's gonna be great so Nikita thank you for joining us all the way from the west coast in the bay area if you don't know this fantastic lady she is Nikita, and I, I meant to ask you beforehand how to say your last name so I don't so I don't mess it up. Meta. Meta. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, because I didn't, you know, I I probably would have said Nikita Mita or something, you know, because like going for the rhyme or whatever. People call me <laughs> Dana Cruel, which I'm fine with if they want to think I'm cruel. It's actually crawl, but I don't care. So um, Nikita's here. She is a coach on the re uh, Reframe Recovery app. Um, she is a recovering um alcohol addicted person herself and mm -hmm. she has told a lot of us about uh or she coaches us in meetings we just left a meeting with her um she coaches tuesday and thursday meetings at 3 30 um on the reframe app via zoom and they're fabulous all the meetings on there are fabulous but hers are like boom they're like you know i i don't i rarely meet people who are as extroverted as i am and nikita's one of them um but she is just she's Awesome. So before I take up any more of this time, I've talked for almost two minutes while we let people get signed in. Um, I just want to say it's an honor to welcome uh, Nikita and uh, welcome to all of you who are here. I'm not going to be taking questions from the chat because this is our chance to hear from Nikita about her story. So I might jump in with some questions at the end. Nikita, if you want to respond to anything in the chat, you're, you're more than welcome to. It's your show. But I would love to hear about what, um, what Nikita was like before two years uh, and a few days ago, uh, when you kissed alcohol goodbye and your life changed, what was the old Nikita like before this Nikita that we've gotten to know? Wow, you know, it's such a wonderful question, Dana. First of all, thank you for having me on here. Right, I, um, I've gotten this question a lot lately because sometimes it's difficult for people to imagine us coaches uh, in similar positions, right? And so then it's like, why should I take information from you? I'm like, well, because two years ago, two years and what, 15 days ago, not even, I woke up in a hospital and mm -hmm. there was a doctor that was looking at me. And, um, you know, it was like the classic scene. There was light behind him. I was in the ER and like, he looked angelic. And then I really looked at his face and he was so angry. And he said, you're, tw you're 34 years old. I can't get your blood pressure down. You came in with a 0.54 blood alcohol level. I think you're about to have a stroke. My nurses shouldn't have to see this. I called your father, even though you're an adult, because I think he has the right to say goodbye. Oh. And then he just walked out, right? Wow. And I had been putting myself in that situation on and off. I was a binge drinker. I was a gray area drinker. I was a party girl. I was like all of these things, right? And I validated my drinking in so many different ways. Well, I'm a, I'm a housewife who lives in Napa Valley. Of course I drink, right? And then I was a grad student and like, that's what we do. We like do a bunch of research and then we all go out to the bars and drink and like, 
every single phase of my life, there was some validation for why I was doing why I was doing. And really what it came down to was, right, exactly what we're talking about in our meetings right now. Like I had an inability to just feel what I was feeling and take life as it came, right? The good, the bad, the ugly. I don't like those qualifiers of good and bad, but that's really what it is sometimes, right? Um, And so Nikita two years ago was a very different person. And I'm so grateful for the experience of finding my version of a bottom, right? And I think that so often that's what we get kind of stuck up on. Oh, I, I don't have a bottom. Like I'm not on the street drinking beer out of, a, out of a paper bag. And so I must not be that bad off. I don't need to stop. And like mine was more of an emotional bottom. Yes, it definitely was also a physical bottom. But what brought me back to you, what brought me back to all of you was a feeling that I knew that there was a portion of me that wasn't being held, wasn't being heard. And I was so happy to get back there. So, yeah. Otherwise, I, I, don't, I don't think about that version of me too often. Um, I get to access it because I'm in community with you. Do, do you feel like there, there is, really is kind of like a hard fork, so to speak? I don't know. This is like the crypto wannabe in me talking about. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to act like I know what my 14-year-old knows about crypto. But, um, you know, my one of my mentors in a degree program that I did that I finished a couple years ago lives in Nashville. Uh, She actually um, was my thesis advisor and she's fabulous. Um, And she um, described right before COVID, I think COVID overshadowed the Nashville tornado that that hit downtown. And Nashville is very near and dear to my heart because we lived up the road in Clarksville, Tennessee and Fort Campbell, Kentucky for a lot of years. Um, But, you know, Lydia, my advisor, described um, her life as the before the tornado and after the tornado. Yes. Is it kind of like that for you with with this crucible experience that you're talking about in the in the uh, hospital? Sure, and I would love to say that that was my my first wake up call and that it just happened like that, right before the hospital and after the hospital. And the reality was like I had been trying to renegotiate my relationship with alcohol since I'd been 18, right alcohol in, in other forms as well, and sometimes powdered forms. And like, you know, like, let's just say it like that, but um, that I had been hiding behind things for quite a while and, and, you know, getting a little bit of traction and then falling back and then doing this thing and then falling back. And what really I was missing was a couple of things. One, like really doing something because I was bringing myself back to the home that lived inside of me. I think so often I was doing things for other people's pleasure, for the looks on the outside, right? I'm going to put my life back together and then this person will know that I'm worthy. No, absolutely not, right? It wasn't until I was like, oh, I am worthy of this life. I'm worthy of landing back in this body. I'm worthy of recognizing how amazing I am that uh, that, that before and after point happened. But the reality is like, I tried everything, for many years and it's, I'll never be sad for those years because what I get to do is condense all of it. And then in my one-on-one calls or in the meetings, like I get to use it for a purpose. Not all pain has to be used for a purpose, but this is like experience that gets to be fulfilled and, and filtered and, and given back. And, um, and so all of those years were, were, were my crucible. All of those years were the toggle point. But yes, is there, is there a before and after, after that hospital moment? 
Yeah. Yeah, there really was. I'm really glad that you phrased it that way. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, when I was interviewed um, a few days ago by um, Ashley Hassan, who has Sober Girl podcast, she's up in Connecticut. I was super excited to, she was my second guest on my podcast. And then she said, hey, why don't you come on mine? And I was like, cool. And she said that she, she's been, um, she's hitting her three-year mark mm -hmm. um, this weekend. And so that's a, that's a big deal. She's been doing the podcast for several months now, I think. And she was doing a live the other day on here with a friend of hers who does a podcast. And apparently they um, are very much of the opinion that you have to hit a rock bottom. And, and, and again, I'm new to the sober community, sober alcohol-free community, or even sober curious, or people who are cutting back or whatever. People are exploring their relationship with alcohol all across the spectrum. But apparently, you know, she clued me into, apparently there's some disagreement in the, the community, whatever, whatever this, I call it the family, the sober family, yeah. uh, about do you have to hit a rock bottom like that? Because for me, it was um, six weeks and one day ago when I had my last overnight soiree in a nearby cheap hotel room because I just had to get out of the house for a few days. Um, it should, my, my rock bottom should have been, you know, two years ago when I like blew a mental head gasket and ended up in a VA hospital for five days and then went through IOP and stayed sober for a year before I relapsed and ended up in the cheap hotel room. So right. my question, my long-winded question is, do you think there has to be, and, and I know there's probably not a right or wrong answer. It's more a matter of opinion. And from Nikita's point of view, do you, do you have to have that rock bottom experience? Um, Cause you just said earlier, like you don't have to be the drunk, uh, the, the, the wino on the street. I mean, I ran a soup kitchen downtown. I know what addiction looks like for someone who is going to die of alcohol poisoning. But like, do you have, you don't have to get on that. You don't have to wake up in a hospital. No. You don't have to have the, the, even the cheap hotel room experience. Like what, I'm going to shut up now and let you talk. Dana, this is like, this is the question, right? Because there are so many differing experiences. And I remember years and years ago, um, when I was trying, you know, another, another modality, one of the people that I was working with said, I never, th I don't think that your bottom's ever going to be low enough for you to get this mm. because I'm educated and I come from a good family and I'm a pretty girl. And so people were always picking me up and I totally understood that at the moment. And what I'm going to tell you now is like, there are no such thing as bottoms, right? Okay. Because the bottom of the bottom is death. The bottom and the bottom is actually not having another opportunity. Otherwise, there are no bottoms. We get to discuss what our bottom is, and that gets to be anything. This is what kept a lot of us stuck for so long, right? This, this whole concept of gray area drinking. If I still have the house, and I still have the job, and I still have my looks, am I really that bad off? Do I really need to take away my security blanket? Yes, absolutely. Like, If you are a person who has been thinking, and I'm putting this back on me. I, I was a person who had thought, I, I should really stop doing this, right? This is affecting my life, right? Anytime you are trying to control something, I say this in meetings all the time, you're trying to control something, what is it? It's out of control, uh, right? And even if you just take a couple of steps back and you're like, mm, for five days, for 10 days, for 15 days, I'm going to reassess what this has, what this meaning with, with the intention with which this is in my life man, things can change. So do I think that you need to hit a bottom? I think that we hit emotional bottoms all the time. I think that we hit physical bottoms all the time. But unless we're willing to actually integrate that information into us and say, hmm, how about not again? 
how about I do something a little bit differently, right? Yeah. It's that whole feedback loop that we get, right? Alcohol is the ultimate feedback loop. We drink and the next day we wake up and we don't feel good. And so we like get through half the day and we're like, oh, I never want to do this again. And then you feel a little bit better and you get to the end of the day. You're like, maybe I'll do that again. Yeah. Right. And we get that feedback loop over and over again. And like one day you wake up and you're like, actually, I don't want to feel like this tomorrow. So I'm going to try something different. That yeah. can be a bottom, right? Your, your bottom of waking up in a hotel room in a motel room and being like, this isn't a pretty look for me. No. Right. Like, yeah. No, it's not what I want to be doing. I mean, it was, it was terrible. I was like, and I, it was all self-inflicted and it was, you know, I, it was like, I'm smart enough to know that what I'm doing is stupid, but I'm stupid enough to keep doing the stupid thing. And, right. you know, it, it's like why you just get in this place where it seems like there's a tipping point. You could, you could talk about this. Like I'm a day trader. I'm, tr I'm trying to learn how to trade stocks without, you know, without turning into a gambler. And what happens is I've got like six different small trading accounts right now that I'm just, experimenting with and some of them have gone like I like two thousand percent gain and, and another one is like a eight hundred percent loss it's like yeah. it's compounded in each account and so it's it just funny to me how like when I follow the rules in trading um it feels good and I go oh man and like earlier today I sold this one thing too early I made like 20 bucks instead of 200 but I was like you know what I wasn't comfortable so I left I, I left the trade and I left with 20 bucks hey I got 20 bucks more than I had before um, and so it's like, the more you follow the rule, the more you do the things that are helpful, the easier they get to do because you get that, you, you get that dopamine yeah. push, right? And, you know, it's so much of this is neurological. And so much of my story is backstory is with spiritual and, and theological stuff. And I'm not bashing that. Um, it's just not where I'm at now. I've gone to a place where I'm just strictly looking at, I, I like, I just said, why don't I just take a look at the hard science of what am I doing physiologically? Yes body oh my goodness let me tell you exactly what you just said was a tipping point for me because everything else was kind of esoteric and i'm a person that right i'm a yoga teacher like i i fall into all of that i want there to be the movement of the universe that's also helping me but what i needed was hard facts mm -hmm. i needed to know that my basal ganglia was the root of my habit and that basal ganglia had neurological pathways that had been so tried and true that they were myelinated and in order to create a new structure for myself i needed to trick my brain yeah. right because my brain was going to stay in the same habit structure because it was comfortable right the story that i tell about the fish all the time like we're going to stay in the trauma that we know because we know how to handle it i'll wake up with a hangover i'll eat some fatty food i'll probably feel like crap until three o'clock and then I'll start the thing all over again. Does it suck? Of course it does, but it's a trauma that I know. You know what's really scary? What would I be possible? What would be possible if I didn't do that? What could I achieve? What kind of happiness would I feel? That's scary. It's scary to think about that. And so we stay in the trauma that we know instead of exactly, Dana, what you're saying is like, can we override that system that goes straight into our fear center, right? Our, our amygdala is so strong because we allow it to be strong. But what if we just like took an extra second, took an extra beat, felt our feelings for 90 seconds. Yeah. Then it's like, what's the story? And when we say, what's the story, what we're doing is going straight into our prefrontal cortex and allowing our understanding of the world around us to be the guiding force, right? So Dana, what you're saying is like, 
I wanted to make a different decision for myself because I wanted to be a day trader or I wanted to do this <laughs> instead, right? I yeah. wanted to learn a new skill and I wasn't going to get to do that if I stayed in that same cycle. So I took a pause. What am I working towards? I'm working towards being a day trader, right? If it gets to the five o'clock hour and I feel like I want to drink, oh my goodness, can I remember what I'm working towards? Because the next day when you wake up, you're right, that dopamine reward system's like, look yeah. at you, dude, look what you did. Look what you did. Yeah. We might be in community doing this. We might utilize the help of, of coaches or the app and like all of this information. But at the end of the day, when you close your eyes, I'm not there with you. You did this. You did this, Dana, right? And that's, that's been a hard thing for me because um, one of my core beliefs that I've unearthed in therapy over the last several years is that when I relax, bad things happen. And that comes out of uh, uh, the first real trauma of life, which involved my, my dad's death. And I won't go into that whole story, but there was something very, very traumatic that happened when he was um, in palliative care at the hospital. And then, you know, in the army, it, you know, there are things that happened in Iraq and only a handful of things that happened in Iraq and then in Afghanistan later on when I was a chaplain, uh, I was an infantryman in Iraq, a chaplain in Afghanistan. And I found that like so many things that, and, and there were deployments that I stayed home and helped families at home and, you know, cared for the wounded and buried the dead, which was actually worse than being deployed. And so my point is not to give my sob story. It's to say that like, mm -hmm. I, my basal ganglia, my amygdala, my medulla oblongata, whatever yes. is freaking like, got that, got that yes. seared in there that yeah. and when I remember those things, I look back and go, I was relaxed right before that thing happened. I had finally let my guard down. Now, had I, I maybe, but in my memory, I have told this story so many times yes. that when I get calm, when I get happy, like I've been in the last month, I tell you, March, there's some good months in my life. There's some bad ones. I will remember March, 2022 as one of the best months of my life. Um, and I'm so glad to be closing it out with you. Um, but my point in saying all this is that what would you say to people like me who, uh, you know, I'm 42 years into this thing. I got four decades, uh, including two decades, give or take worth of army searing mm -hmm. stuff into me um, and just life in general, me telling myself this narrative long enough, like, I sat in the car two nights ago and um, had the night. I just want to say this about the 90 seconds and then I'm going to pitch it back to you finally. Yeah. Um, you know, I, because what you said is, can I sit with it for 90 seconds? It's not even the 20 minute craving. It's like, there's this decisive 90 seconds when this thing yeah. starts. And I never really felt that until two nights ago, I went to my wife, dropped me off at the dealership so we could pick up the car. And I got in the car and I was like, you know, I think I shared about this yesterday in the Zoom. So like, sorry for the reframers have heard this already, but I sat there like this and, and I was like, I know this isn't true, but God, this feels true. And what I did was I, I kind of got, I got on my text with my, my secret rogue text group for, of reframers, inner circle of six sisters that I got. I texted and I was like, hey, I'm sucking. I don't think I'm going to drink, but I'm in a bad place. I'm in a dark place. And they were able to talk me through that and get me through that decisive few minutes so that when I drove home and I drove past the Kroger where I was went to get booze before yeah. I was like, nope and when I was like oh I could stop and get some NA but then I knew that that would be an excuse to go and like you know drool over the alcohol stuff yeah. like I, I went home I came home I took a pill and I went to sleep so I want to tie this back to something that you said earlier you said that you you felt held and heard or that you needed to feel that you never felt held or heard or something like that what I felt two days ago was held and heard. 
electronically held or whatever, yeah. you know, but, and I felt heard and I felt safe to be who I was in that little space. What was it that changed for you to help you feel held and heard so much so that this became your vocation and your, and your life, your life's work? Dana, I, I love that you are talking about this in relation to community, right? But first of all, I want to give the agency back to you because the real applause goes to you for reaching out and creating that community around yourself. Here's now, why I go into all chucks mode and, you know, <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to be modest and all this crap. Oh, and I don't, and I'm terrible at taking compliments. So thank you. I'm working on that part, but oh, it's hard. I'm yeah. like, ah, that wasn't me. For all, I mean, I think we have like, we have like over 100,000 people that are joining us on Reframe. Those 100,000 people made a decision that they were going to reach outside of themselves, join community, read some information, interact with each other. And that's what was going to get them there, right? And so I hear what you're saying. Like, what is that time where you feel held and heard and all of those things? Yes. And you know how you feel held and heard? Because you took a second and you held and heard yourself. That's ah. what you did in the car. In the car, you said, I'm experiencing an emotion instead of running. And there's so many ways that we can run. TV, shopping, sex, right? Like all these different things, food, alcohol, anything, right? You didn't. I'm feeling something. My goodness, what a fantastic life that I get to witness emotion. I'm going to hold and hear myself. Oh my gosh, this is painful. Yeah. This is pain. Wow. Okay. This is pain. What's the story I'm telling? I'm telling myself that I'm experiencing pain because I'm not worthy enough to have this wealth and success that I'm having right now. And the shame cycle that I'm experiencing, I'm, I'm walking you through mine, right? I am having this experience of pain this week, right? And my story is that I'm not worthy of having the beautiful life that has been given to me because I'm not enough, right? And the shame cycle is because I'm not a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, anything that like an Indian community would make me worthy, that none of this is true. And what was an actionable item? An actionable item for me was to make sure that I had all of my one-on-one -on -one calls, you know, and like I got to talk to people that I came on to meetings, that I didn't shy away from my responsibilities, that I came in with all of my pain and was vulnerable enough to share it because I was like kind and compassionate to myself because I listened to myself because I was held and heard by myself, then I can reach out and be held and heard by you. Does yeah. that make sense what the toggle point actually is? No, it does. Cause the second thing I wrote down my stupid cheapo circle light led light thing that I bought. Cause I, I'm a wannabe blogger guy. It says home inside me right here. You can't see yeah. that's the said that I wrote down. So what I see, I'm like, when you're talking, I'm like, well, shit, Nikita, that's not what I was supposed to hear from you was like that it, <laughs> I thought, you know, I'm setting you up for like, yeah, it's your community and you got, you know, everything else. But you're like, no, 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 I'm going to turn that around and say it's back. You know, it started with me. Yes, those ladies, my six sober sisters who were spread across the country. Yes, they rallied around me, but it started with me. I, that's, see, for me, that's where I kind of still hit the wall and go, Eh, I, that sounds too, you know, like too much like this. And I don't want to get overconfident and I don't want to put too much pressure on myself. And so I, I do all kinds of things with that, but I'm glad that you challenged me, even though it kind of, even though my stomach's like, all right, <laughs> but I'm going to do it. For you. 
Nikita, just for you. And for me, right. no, I'm going to do it for me. There you go. I'll do it for me, right? <laughs> no, but Dana, like, you're right. Like, it's not like I, I held and heard myself the first time it happened, right? So much of what we do is we keep showing up back to the meetings because we're like, I don't really love myself today, but Dana's going to be at the meeting. I can't wait to see Dana at the meeting. So I'm going to show up to the meeting and I'm going to listen, right? And when I can't do it for myself, I'm going to do it because I don't want to let my, my six sober sisters down. And we do it and we do it and we do it. And one day it actually shifts and we're like, oh, I'm in pain and that's okay. I can be in this experience of pain. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not supposed to happen overnight. If it happened overnight, it wouldn't be worthwhile. And this journey is so worthwhile because what it does is it leads us back to the home that has always been inside of us, right? This like safe, beautiful, nurturing space that like lived inside of you the whole time that you were desperately trying to flee since we were what? Four years old and figured out how to flee, right? The universe around you encouraged you to flee because that's what keeps capitalist society going. I mean, like I'm such a victim of it. And like, I love being a victim of my 300 dresses and my right, $500 hairstyler. Like it doesn't matter. Like, but what I recognize is, especially when I'm here with you guys, right. Especially when I get to show up as a coach that so many people are like, thanks for being my cheerleader. I'm like, yeah, for now, right? But really what I'm trying to do is lead you back to the penultimate cheerleader. You know who that cheerleader is? You. You yeah. for yourself, right? That cheerleader never goes away. When you stand in front of your mirror, right? When you're having a day and you're like, oh, I need someone to validate me. And you stand in front of the mirror and you're like, fuck yeah. Me. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, well, Yesterday one. in the call, too, at, towards the end of the call, um, one of the ladies, I guess I shouldn't say her name here, but she, she made this brilliant point about those neural pathways and how what story you, it goes along with what you were saying about what story do you tell yourself. And she said, if you tell yourself this is hard, you keep saying it's over and over. Yeah. Oh, God, sucks. This is so hard. I really want to drink. And it, that's what your brain is. You're on that feedback loop and all totally. you're doing is reinforcing those neural connections. So, you know, it's the, the positive self-talk. In fact, in my like, inner circle sober sisters group this morning one of the ladies said um she went to a tony robbins thing last week and um she's been pumping us up we've been kind of pumping her up and um pumping her up back and she was saying like try you know talking try try speaking to yourself in a loving way and i'm like i text, like I, I texted her i was like well i suck at that like see there you go i'm i'm really not good at that but i said i will try it for you um, right. said, but really I'm trying it, you know, I'm going to do it for me. And, you know, it reminds me also of you told a story in a recent call where you were traveling and you were at the bar and that little voice came up and said, you know, you could have a glass of wine here. This is no big, nobody no, no. Oh, you're freaking Texas or wherever you are. And, but you told us in that call, you said, I, I didn't do it because I, I didn't do that for you. She, you were telling us as your sober family, as your reframe family, you did that for us. And so we show up for each other. But if I'm hearing you right, you're saying at the end of the day, it all starts, it all starts here and we can help each other, but I've got to be my biggest fan. I've got to be the person who loves myself or I can't really love, I can't really do what I need to do in life. Is that right? Oh, 
A hundred percent, right? Like not to beat a dead horse, but I'm going through a separation and it's painful. And the other day I drove to a bar, right? And I walked inside and there's always like two years, 10 years, whatever later, there's always that neurological pathway that says that alcohol can make this better never dies. You can't atrophy Mm. a neural pathway, right? That highway is always there. Do we like create new highways that are stronger or faster? Sure. But that thought came into my mind, but you know what came up right behind it was like, what would I tell my family? And so the feeling lasted, it maybe used to last 90 seconds and now sometimes it lasts four seconds. And I ordered a non-alcoholic beer and I sat down and I was like, fantastic. I think I got the external of what I needed and then I went home, right? Oh, sorry, keep going. No, no, no. No, I was gonna say, I'm glad you brought this up because I didn't wanna, um, you know, I don't know, like, Hey, Nikita, tell us about all this crap that's going on in your life that you told us about this week. But, but when you told us that story, I still have this picture of you. See, when people meet effusive extroverts like us, people have a lot of energy. And, you know, I, I can be a brooding, nasty, nasty extrovert. You know, I get, I've gone hard naval, hardcore implosion navel gazing over the last couple of years and used COVID as an excuse. But, like, I can't suppress the energy and the enthusiasm that's in me for, for life. And I'm, I'm done. I'm going to done hack. I'm going to try to be done hacking on myself for that and try to be proud of that and say, I'm going to use that uh, for my life. But my point is like, I think people see very positive when I was an army chaplain, people would be like, Oh my gosh, like, how do you, you know, you're always energetic and everything. And I'm like, you guys don't see me when I'm not in front of y'all. Right. And what this is, I still picture, I picture you when you're talking about four hours of Gilmore, Gilmore girls. <laughs> and, and when I even tell my wife about that, she'll die when I tell her you were watching Gilmore girls by yourself at one morning but like I see you like sitting there and still being happy in my mind's eye. It's like Nikita's still happy. Like she's fine. It's all going to be okay. And in your head, you're like, Oh, I know this is going to be all right. Whatever. But do you tell me about when you're in those hard moments, what's it like for you, Nikita, who's like, boom, here I am. I love you. And when you say you love us, we know you mean it. This isn't false, like fakeness. People who are watching this can feel how real you are. Uh, that's why they keep, that's why there's 46 people on this call right now. And there were more earlier. So my, my question, I'm going to wrap it up now is about energy. How do you work through things as an extroverted, very vivacious, positive person? When you get in those dark places, walk us through what that's like for you. You know, in the beginning, it was so difficult because I was never taught how to sit in what I would term, right? What we qualify as a bad or a negative emotion Mm -hmm. and like the reality is like what are these qualifiers why is one thing bad and one thing good it's like the totality of the experience and so I like to think of it as a pendulum right and like right now I am in incredible pain and so I pull the pendulum back and I sit there and I feel it right and I allow myself to experience that I figure out what the edges are sometimes I feel like I've been like sucker punched in the throat Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And then I sit there and I watch Gilmore Girls and I allow myself the distraction and I eat a bunch of ice cream. And, and sometimes I allow myself to cry. But here's the reality of the situation of why I love sitting in the totality of that experience. Because I have pulled the pendulum back so far this way. Guess what it gets to do on the other side. I know that same meets same, right? 
that one experience allows me to fall in. So now I'm driving, I'm flying off to Belize, right? Judy, I'll see you there. I see that you just came on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm flying off to Belize and I'm going to go, I just booked myself like a Mayan tour and like we're going to Guatemala for the day, but I will sit there in the, in the freedom of joy and really be able to experience what that means because I allowed myself Mm -hmm. the experience of of heartbreak and sadness and loneliness and loss man why would i ever want to take that away from me mm. you know when you know i love dana i love that you just said this when i say i love you on those calls you're right i am not saying that as like a i'm your coach i love you yeah, right, right? <laughs> it's not like that like i would get on a plane and like come and sit by your side i love you Right. And I'm allowed that emotion because I've had the totality of all the other emotions and love is just an amalgamation of hate and sorrow and pain and joy and frustration and vibrance and renewal. And oh, yeah. <laughs> go to the wheel. Yes. <laughs> like, go at it. Right. Like all of these together is what it means to be truly in the experience of love. And so if I take away right? Like all of the angry and annoyed feelings, man, I don't get to feel that love. The, the depth mm. of love I feel when you guys come onto the meetings and you say, I just got to 10 days and I'm so excited. You have no idea that sometimes I get off those calls and I cry because the, the emotion of getting to do this with you and to feel the joy that you're feeling inside of my body is I mean, you said it before, like, how did this become your life's work? I think it was always supposed to be my life's work. I just didn't know that those years of, of quote unquote suffering was leading me to a space of empathy, of understanding, of openness, of vulnerability, so that I could sit and guide you back to the home that is in yourself. Well, I like, I got to take a deep breath like pause for the cause of this because holy moly i mean love is that love as the totality of emotions good and bad like that's going to be staying on this sticky for on on this computer monitor for quite a while um and and i want you to talk more about something that you said in the call i think on tuesday that really resonated with a lot of people because they were talking about it later uh in one of our chat rooms or more more than one i think when you were saying it's like this for just just for now just for now. And that ties to that yeah. 90 seconds thing, but you were like, you know what? It's, it, you were talking, I, I don't remember if it was in regard to the, the separation or what it was, but you said, you know what? It's like this just for now. When you let yourself feel something instead of attacking yourself for feeling something, like it, you know, when you feel guilty, I'm, what I'm learning to do is not feel meta guilt. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm allowing myself to feel guilty and like get over it and yeah. get through, you know, just let it go. Um, and, you know, meditation and stuff is something that I'm being mindful and just kind of watching my thoughts is something that I'm learning how to do thanks to Alan Watts and wonderful oh, so yogi um, who have really helped me in the last uh, year plus, even before I relapsed. And I think that that was like last winter listening to Alan Watts every night probably um, is what, what was prepping me for the low that I was going to send myself into last summer in my relapse. So I guess just talk to me more about that, like, how does that is it's mm -hmm. like this just for now? Am I saying that the way that you said it, or is that how you say it to yourself? Or, or so this is 
Yeah, this is actually from one of my teachers who I will link later in the bottom of here because she just did a TED Talk. And this is the, the totality of her TED Talk, right? right? She's such a powerful teacher of mine. And she said to me one day, she said, it's just like this for now. It's just like this for now. But here's the thing, Dana, right? We love to put that so that when it's a bad emotion, when we qualify something as a bad emotion, we're like, it's just like this for now. It's just like this for now, right? No, no, sweetheart, right? It's just like this for now for all things. Okay. It's just like this for now. That means that when I'm experiencing something that I feel as a negative emotion, is it, yeah, it's just like this for now. And so I'm going to le learn my lesson from it. What's the story? You know why, why it's, like I have clients, right? And I love this client so dearly. I hope she's on this call, who seven years later is still mourning the loss of her last relationship. You know what's happened for those seven years? is that the story, the shame cycle has been playing on repeat. She just didn't know how to move past it because she didn't know what the actionable item was. So we feel an emotion, good, bad, sad, glad, mad, had it, whatever, right? We feel an emotion, we tell it, what's the story here? What am I telling myself about this, right? And then if there is, what's the shame cycle? And if there is a shame cycle, what are some actionable items that I can do? Now, does that only apply to the, the quote unquote bad? No, I'm in elation today, right? So what's the story? The story is that when I show up for myself, things turn around pretty fast. There's no shame cycle involved with that. But you know what my actionable item is? My actionable item is to remember this feeling and remember that when I do things that I show up for myself, when I get onto meetings, when I connect with others, I get to access that feeling of elation. That's what my actionable item was. I do this for a lot of things. And it's not like it's always happening in my mind. It's second nature. My subconscious gets to do it now, which takes the 90 seconds and breaks it down sometimes into five seconds. Okay. Right. Just practice, practice that. Ah, God. Like, so that's two things in a row that you, you talked about the bad and the good. It's, bo it's both and. It's not, well, I should be trying to stay sober so that I'll feel better more of the time. I mean, obviously, I would rather feel better than worse more of the time. But is it, you know, one of my therapists said, one of my, my trauma doc would ask me, is that a realistic expectation? You know, is it really realistic for you to be um, great at your job every single day? Is it realistic for you to expect for you to not beat yourself up at all? And all these things, all these goals that I have for myself, like I want to be confident and I want to be this and that and all these things that I deem to be good. The reality is like the, the bad stuff's going to be part of life, right? But so you've, you said, not only is it just like this, it's just like this for now, both good and bad, yeah. but you also talked about love as the totality of emotions, good and bad. And I don't know that, you know, for a guy who used to preach, you know, from first Corinthians and all these other passages, great biblical passages about love and reading from so many different traditions, uh, religious and non, you know, and secular about love, which is something that I think all humans can agree on. Love is something that's real and it's something that's universal that connects us regardless of what we look like or what we think or what we even what we do but i i don't know that i've ever thought about love as inclusive of every as love as the all-inclusive emotion that includes even the bad so that's going to be probably the most like gut punch you talked about like the sucker punch like i think you gut punched me on that one um from this call after throat punching me and after yeah like <laughs> 
but that's in, with love, with love. Right? Where, did you, where did you find all this stuff out? How did you how did you come about to know these things? Like, did this just come like one day you were, you know, you're like, man, I had this horrible near death experience. And now my life, like, doggone it, I'm going to turn my life around, you know, like the good old fashioned, pick yourself up by the bootstraps, you know, American story, mm -hmm. or what is it? What did it look like? And sorry, if you, I sort of asked this earlier, but talk us through more of that. How long was it from that, um, that hospital experience until yeah. now? It, was it was that two years ago or was that even more years ago? No, that was two years ago. And it would be so lovely for me to say that that's how long, right? I just like turned it around and I learned all these things then. No, I mean, I, I've been, I've been analyzing and learning and, um, you know, quantifying these things since I was a child. I grew up the, the granddaughter of two very devout yogis who, um, who were freedom fighters in India and like really taught me these stories of love is the totality, right? And so it has been a mission to gather information from the external world. And this is right, like I told you before, like this was always meant to be my path. I just didn't know it. And so I tried a lot of other things and I was like, why does this not fit? Why am I not supposed to be in advertising? Why am I not <laughs> supposed to be a speech therapist, right? And it was like, I listen. That's one of my superpowers is that I listen okay. and I listen to stories. And then I, I think about what is the lesson here? And I listen, I take a lot of classes and, um, and, and most of it, Dana is going back to what you said before, right? I, I started to listen to myself. I started to fold in on myself and that okay. experience, that whole internal journey was something that I wish we had been taught in high school. And we weren't. Yeah. And so I started to think about how can I lead people on this path? How can I give them tidbits of information that they can receive as a, as a, you know, as a person who um, delivered the, the verses of Corinthians, right? You delivered them to people that could hear that message. And so the same thing happens in the alcohol free world. When we're trying to renegotiate our, our relationship with alcohol, we need things to be told into us in a way that we're like, Oh, right. I don't need to sit in shame because that's what keeps me in the cycle. Now yeah. tell me what shame is. Now tell me what a shame cycle is. And I was like, well, I got plenty of stories for days, <laughs> right? About shame cycles and about tearing dresses in Vegas and like waking up in foreign countries and being like, how did I get here? All of these things, right? That like, I'm like, oh, all of those stories, all of these experiences, all of these ways in which I was vulnerable with myself could be used for a greater good. And and here you are, right? I well, get to do this with you now. It's crazy. And you know, when you meet someone who like, I was nervous about, I mean, I, like, I'm not, I'm not a bashful person. I mean, I've done like TV and media and I've met famous people and big wigs, and, you know, generals in the army and stuff. I got to have some pretty cool experiences. And I'm not saying that to do my heart. I'm just saying like this, I, I, this is like what it's like for me, but you know, you meet people who, um, you know, I have not met you in person yet. I hope I'll meet you in person someday. But there are people, and, and I don't know if this is just a, a, a post-COVID thing where we all learn how to Zoom and learn how to kind of pick up on vibes, you know, even for somebody who's not the most uh, perceptive of people when it comes to other people's emotions, because I'm like golden retriever. I'm like, la, 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 hey, let's be friends. Whoa, whoa, I'm a party, yeah. You know, and God love him. He just is clueless about what's going on. But like, when I, when I met you in the, in one of your calls, probably when I was camera off, 
probably drunk, possibly in the hotel. I, I, I don't remember if it was the Tuesday that I was in the hotel, probably was. It, there are people that you meet in your life who you're, I, I'm not, in, I don't want to say I was intimidated by you. I think I was more like, um, wow, this is a real person. Because if there's one word that I want to describe me, maybe it's like the epitaph for me, like here lies a dude who was genuine. And even if I was, you know, a, a hot mess, at least if I could be a genuine hot mess. And one of the things that, so I was a little bit bashful about asking you. I mean, I, I told myself, get over it and just ask her. But part of it was like, well, Nikita's super busy. And she, what if it, what if she's actually running herself into the ground and she feels like she has to say it? And I was like, Dana, shut up. Like, let Nikita be her own person. Like, of all the people that you know, Nikita's the person who knows herself well enough and would tell you, I can't do that. You would right. be able to say no and not feel bad about that. Or you'd be like, hey, I really wish I could. And so I just want to say that I, I, there's not even really a question in this. This is me just sweeping my hand across the screen and saying, Nikita, there's something about you that um, is not just, ma it's not just magnetic. It's, it's effusive. Like you, you, um, you make me on this call feel like I am, like I am not the most important person in the world. It's that I'm as important as everyone else in this call, uh, the other 46 people who are on this call. And, and I'm as important to, to you as you are to you. And I think that's the thing that, that maybe has been holding me back from truly being genuine to people like, I think I've tried like, oh yeah, but I've gone with this whole self-effacing, like, you know, I grew up with this complex about my name. I've got a girl's name. I got teased about that in the eighties on the playground mm -hmm. and I got teen magazine. And so I reinforced, you know, as a teenage boy, which is like, oh God, even though I was an only child, it didn't matter. Like, oh God, I got teen magazine. This is horrible. And so I start telling myself these stories about myself and the way that I've always dealt with things was like, oh, shucks, like, oh, I'm not that great. And it's like an expectation management thing. I'm like, I'm right. not that great, you know because I want people to go, oh, we didn't, we didn't think he was going to be that great, but actually, wow, look, look, he's kind of great. And the transition that I'm trying to make, thank you for bearing with this soliloquy, by the way. No, of course. The, the, um, the thing that I'm working on is being able to say what uh, the, one of my sober sisters said in the, this morning on another post-it here, I've got written down. Um, oh, give me a second. She said, we should ask ourselves, what are we proud of? and then try to give that away. So in other words, start with yourself, start with what you're good at, start with praising yourself. And that's when I text her, I, but I suck at that. <laughs> I'm not good at being myself. I wanna give myself to others, but I wanna do it in this aw shucks sort of way um, because I wanna keep expectations low. So I, I guess this is more of a comment and a thank you for modeling for me how to love others by loving myself not first it's not even about first or the most or whatever because it's like i just am trying to love myself the same way that i would love anyone else which by the way was right there in the bible that i studied my whole life and even preached for years you know like <laughs> love love others as you would you know what treat others you want to be treated yourself and right. you know love other people as you love yourself well i if i haven't ever really loved myself how can i do that so thanks for modeling for us I guess I'm just saying on behalf of the 40 some people that are here, thank you for modeling for us how we can be our true selves, be genuine and make people feel like they matter, not in a, oh gosh, I'm so glad, I'm so glad to be your kid. Like there's none of that phoniness in, in when you talk and I'm just, I'm kind of in awe of that. So thank you for doing it. 
Dana, I love this and, and we can we can kind of wrap up with this, which is, you know, um, I hope, I hope what happened that day, what I what I hope that I'm portraying is that you come on and you see the magic that's about to be witnessed of yourself in me, mm -hmm. and you're like, Oh, I have that too. Mm -hmm. I see her smile and I know I have that smile too. Because I needed to do that, right? I needed to look around my space and be like, oh, there's magic in that person and in that person and that person. And I know it's in me too. I just haven't acknowledged it. I have not listened and really like sat with it. And once I really sat with my own magic, I was like, oh, and now let me, let me open up the portal for everyone to see the magic inside of themselves. And I get to do it in the yoga community and I get to do it here, right? I get to do it with kids, but really like it's a constant way that I get to show up for myself. Sometimes I sit in the mirror, like in, in warrior two. And I'm like, look at you, badass girl, right? Look at what you're capable of. Right. And I, I really like my, my beautiful hairstylist, who's one of my best friends, just came on. And the other day he said, I can't believe people pay you to like hear your opinion on their lives. And then he goes, well, no, wait, never mind. You've yeah. been through hell and back and, and you got yeah. to the other side. So I get it. And I was like, well, I just like, you know, we show up for ourselves and then we get to like say to other people, listen, listen, I promise you, if you just stick with me for five minutes more, just for five minutes it's going to get a little bit better and a little bit better. And then you're going to re-meet yourself on the path and you're going to be like that girl or that guy or that human being that I always have been. Why did I deny myself that magic? Right? Yeah. And then it just like, then you can't even help but share it with others because they see it in your face. Yeah. So I, well, I will, and by saying the, the last comment in the chat here says, um, I literally do not think I would be sober today if it weren't for Nikita. Sorry, I know I wouldn't be. So to our friend, brother, sister, whichever you are, to Mac, um, thank you. Miss McKenzie. Brilliant way to end um, because um, there are days that, yeah, that I, Nikita, that's been a big, I, I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of, plenty of people who could say that not just today, but many day, many other people would say it about you. I'm one of them that you've, you, me to, um, rediscover a zest for life, a, a joy for living that didn't involve looking forward to the next drink. So um, thanks for walking this path with us. Thank you for sharing another almost hour with us after all that you've done for Reframe and everything. And we just, um, I, I give you the last word and then we'll sign off. <laughs> uh, feel your feelings and let's all go home to the home that is our own body today. I'm so grateful to be on this path with all of you. And I love uh, you. Well, we love you too. And uh, so I will sign off with my cheesy, but I like it and I'm sticking with it. It's <laughs> goodbye alcohol and hello life. So thanks mm. again, Nikita. We'll, um, we'll see you again. Hey, have a great trip next week and we will see you, you when we see you. You enjoy it. You go, you, you go girl. You have fun. <laughs> Bye. Bye.